we can take with us throughout the week too. So while I've tried to go through this book line by line, it might look a little different than say if I was going through Romans. Uh, so today will be no different. I want to draw out some, some doctrinal things for you to take away. But more than that, I want to try to give you some, some practical things to take with you. So the title of my message today is A Kingdom That Stands Forever. A kingdom that stands forever. And again, I'm taking a big chunk of Scripture today, so I'm not going to ask you to stand as I normally do. I'm not going to read through all that. We'll just take it as we go. But I have this shirt. I've had it for a while. I think I got it from someone at a yard sale. Maybe they had it and didn't like it. But I want to ask you a question. Anybody recognize that fella? Remember him? Who is that? Bob Ross. The joy of painting. I know he's still on TV. Brian and I have talked about it. We watch him sometimes when there ain't hardly anything on television worth watching. So we just like to watch a guy stand there for half an hour and talk to himself and paint trees. You know? But he does a good job about it. But if you've ever watched Bob Ross or you're familiar with that, he'll start out and it kind of just shows you, it kind of flashes a picture of, of the finished product. But when, when he comes on the screen, it's just him and that palette full of colors and his brush and his not little paint knife and a blank canvas. And I thought about that this week. I thought a lot about Bob Ross for whatever reason and that blank canvas and how they give us a little glimpse at the beginning of what it's going to look like. And you know Bob Ross has the ability to make it look like that. But yet you still, every time you turn it on, you think, now how on earth is he going to take all those different colors and mix them up and make them turn out to be that and I thought about Genesis 1 1 in the beginning blank canvas God created the heavens and the earth verse 2 says that everything was formless and void and the spirit of God moved across the waters of the deep think about that that first moment when God spoke and matter and time came into existence and he had a blank canvas and with the majesty as only God could paint he painted a creation unlike anything that humanity could have ever come up with and yet as beautiful as things were we found a way sin found a way to destroy it and the result of that sin is that God's perfect creation was corrupted. But I'm glad that while all of creation from you and me to the natural world has been touched by sin and affected by sin, I'm glad today that that sin could not and can never affect His kingdom. As bad as things may get here, God's kingdom is immovable. His kingdom cannot be shaken. Sin will never have one moment in the presence of a holy God. And sinners outside of the blood of Jesus Christ will never spend one moment in the presence of a holy God. But God in His mercy and grace takes things that have been corrupted by sin and He didn't throw the clay away. He molds us into something new. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God does a work in us and for us and through us. And I'm so glad today that there is a kingdom greater than this world. And all of His redeemed, all of His elect, if you want to use that term, it's biblical, all those that are in Christ have a seat at the table with the Lord Jesus. He has a kingdom that stands forever. So let's look at our text today. I'm going to move through the first part somewhat quickly. Verses 31-36, through if you've been with us, you know that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream And this dream was ongoing. We see it in the plural in those verses to say, it was a singular dream that occurred multiple times. And this dream troubled him. And he calls all the worldly people that he could find to try to help him. And the worldly people failed him every time because the world can't take care of your spiritual needs. They'll never be able to meet that deep need that you have inside of you that only God can. And so he calls these folks they can't do what he needs them to do. He decides he's going to start killing everybody until he gets an answer. And Daniel comes in his faith and in his boldness and says, if you'll just give me a moment, I'll get you an answer. Daniel didn't have the answer. Remember, we talked about that. Daniel trusted God and he acted as though he had the answer even though it hadn't come yet. But we can trust God to provide for us if we'll step on in faith. Before we have all the pieces, we can trust God. So Daniel steps out. He goes and gets his three prayer partners. They get on their face and they say, God, we have a need and we trust that you can meet it. Help us. And God provides. God provides the answer. And so we pick up today in verses 31 through 36. And Daniel is going to reveal to him this image. I'm going to read just a little bit of this so you get the idea. Verse 31, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image was mighty of exceeding brightness, and it stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Here's what it looked like. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its middle and its thighs of bronze, and the legs of iron, but its feet were partly iron and partly clay. And as you looked, the stone was cut out. By no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces, and it became like chaff on the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain, And it filled the whole earth. That was the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had that he was begging someone to tell him about. I just want you to notice a few things about this image and we'll move on. Number one, it was massive and it was bright. And standing close to that made this mighty king fearful. Like I can't imagine that there were too many things that scared Nebuchadnezzar. But this dream shook him to its core. When God begins to show you spiritual realities, if you are outside of His will, it ought to make you a bit nervous. If you're here today and you're lost and you start hearing about eternal things and how you are separated from a holy God, I hope that makes you a bit uncomfortable. I hope that you begin to consider more than just today. I hope you look beyond Sunday football to eternity 
and consider that if you don't make it through the Bengals game, that you're ready to be in the presence of God. That's what matters. And I hope that those things never leave your mind and your heart until you're right with Him. This image was frightening. And I also want you to see that as we look at these metals, they begin to deteriorate in value and also in weight as they go from the head down. So we see that this statue is really top-heavy. The, the legs and the feet don't really have the support to hold the rest of it up. And so as Daniel tells him about this, he begins to explain to Nebuchadnezzar what this meant. So verses 37 to 45 are really the, the uh, interpretation, if you will, of these things. And so in verse 37, he comes right out, and this is clear, there's no denying this. He says in verse 37 to Nebuchadnezzar, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, he says that you are the head of gold. You are the head of gold. So he right off the bat explains who the head is. But I want you to see something else in that verse. I want you to see that Daniel acknowledges and he wants to communicate that to Nebuchadnezzar that God is the one that put Nebuchadnezzar into power. God is the one that gave him control. He may be a wicked king. He may be a pagan king. He may be doing things contrary to the Word of God, but it wasn't outside of the will of God for him to be there. God knew what He was doing. God was using Nebuchadnezzar for a purpose. He was bringing judgment upon the people of Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians were a vessel that God would use for a season to do that. But God would throw down that kingdom. He would restore His people. He had a plan through it all. But in the midst of it, remember, Daniel's 1,500 miles from home. Daniel loved the Lord. He served the Lord. He wasn't part of the idolatrous crowd of Israelites that had forsaken God. But he got caught up in the midst of it, didn't he? He didn't escape the suffering and the judgment that came upon a nation. Oftentimes, we as Christians in America think, God, why are you allowing us to go through this? We're in the midst, I believe, of judgment on this nation. And the church will escape that terrible period of tribulation when God pours out His wrath upon the world. But nowhere in the Bible does it promise we will escape the judgments before that time begins. And as He tarries, so that more folks can come to Jesus Christ, we thank Him for His grace. Because I don't know about you, but i still got folks that aren't ready. And I don't want to fly off to glory just yet knowing they ain't going with me. I'm ready, but they're not. And so I'd like to stay here as long as I can to tell them how to get ready. And I hope you'll tell them how to get ready. So that when He decides to get us, they can go with us. And so God puts them in control. Job 12.23 says there, He, God, makes nations great. And then He destroys them. He enlarges nations and He leads them away. God is in control, church. That can give us a peace no matter how scary the statue is. We don't have to fear because we know the One who's in control of it all. And so He lists this statue and, and these these different elements relate to world powers. Now remember, he says Babylon, which is the current empire, is who he's talking about. But he moves on and he says, okay, the next one 
it gets a little weaker, that would be the Medo-Persian Empire. We'll see them a little bit later in Daniel. We'll see that Babylon will be overtaken by a dual kingdom, the Medes and the Persians. That's the next one. Then in verse 39, the second half of that verse, he says, a third kingdom of bronze. That's going to be the Greeks, the Greek kingdom. And then finally, we'll see the last kingdom, this kingdom that's intermingled with clay and iron, the Roman kingdom. But this is also a a foretaste, if you will, of what's going to happen in the last days with this final kingdom that's going to come up. Have you ever thought about the fact that after the Roman Empire, there's never really been another world superpower? There's been superpowers in different places, but someone that controlled the entire known world, that ended with Rome. But it'll happen one more time before the Lord puts an end to all things. Something to think about. But he says in verse 44 and 45, there's going to be a stone cut out of a mountain, not made with hands. Real quick, I think we can identify who that is. In 1 Peter 2.7, it says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is this stone that Daniel sees in this prophetic vision. Not made with human hands. He had no natural birth. That God who has always been, the Word became flesh. Christ is the Son of God. Incarnate. In Hebrews 9.11 it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, our bodies, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. God supernaturally caused the Holy Spirit to come upon Mary. And Jesus was in her womb until she would give birth to the Son of God. The Redeemer, the Savior of the world. It was an act of pure grace. And in this little prophecy that Daniel gives in this dream, this interpretation, we see thousands of years of human history even echoing into today and what has not yet happened. But I believe the stage is being set. I believe the world is being prepped. And God, when He is ready, will allow this Antichrist figure to come upon the scene. The world will unite and rally around Him in His offer for peace and prosperity. And then in the middle of that time, things will go south quickly during this period of tribulation. And all of that is fascinating, and all of that is interesting, and all that is worthwhile to talk about. But I want to press you a little bit more this morning in a different direction. I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you, what kingdom are you living for? We saw all these kingdoms mentioned. Every one of them, at one time, ruled the known world. And every one of them is no longer around. Except in your history books. What kingdom are you living for? I want you to see something. I want you to look at verse 39. As he begins to talk about these kingdoms, this is specifically for the second kingdom, but all of them are true of this. I want you to notice one word in particular in verse 39. Your translation may have a different word here. But notice the word inferior. Another kingdom inferior to you, Nebuchadnezzar, will rise after you. 
I want you to think about these kingdoms that we mentioned, and I want you to think about our world today and understand that every kingdom of the earth is inferior to the kingdom of God. Every kingdom on earth is decaying. It is declining. It is not going to stand the way that the kingdom of God will. The Bible tells us that in the last days, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse. We see things getting habitually worse around us in our country and yes, in our world. In Romans 8, the Bible talks about that even creation is groaning and travailing like a woman about to give birth. As times get closer to the return of Jesus Christ, we see even creation and natural disasters and things of that nature becoming more and more common. Because we are living, friends, in a dying world. Our spirits, though made alive in Christ, are encapsulated inside dying bodies. All of us this morning are getting older, weaker, sicker, and like it or not, we can't do and recover the things like we used to be able to as we get older. Somebody say amen there. Brother George, your back ain't getting better like it used to. My leg's been bothering me all week. It didn't even do anything and it bothers. It hurts. It's just a reality of it. I want to read to you this real quick. I'm going to move through this. There was an English historian named Edward Gibbons lived several hundred years ago. And he wrote a large series, an encyclopedia if you will, called The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire. What led to the greatest world power that the world has ever known to be no more? I just want to read to you the five things that he lists. And I want you to think about our country today. Number one, what led to the decline and fall of the Roman Empire? The destruction of the dignity and sanctity of the home. Number two, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public monies for free bread and circuses for the people. Entertainment to keep the people entertained. Number three, a mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming more and more exciting and brutal. Number four, the decadence of the people, a decline in morals, dignity, religion, and discipline. And number five, the decay of religion, fading into a mere form and becoming impotent. I'm afraid, if God tarries, that sometime in the future, there'll be a history book that says the decline and fall of the United States. And he might as well copy these five things and paste it right in there. Because church, if we don't get serious about the things of God, if we don't stop living as though this world was our home and start living for the kingdom of God and His glory, we are just pushing along all this immorality and all this mess, all this sin. We're just pushing it off to the next generation. We need to deal with it now. We need to deal with it today. And we deal with that by showing people that there is something better than that. That there is hope and there is joy and there is peace and there is truth and there is love. And it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. We need to show them that today.
Are you living for a kingdom that is declining and decaying? In Matthew 6, 19 and 20, Jesus said, Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where are you laying up your treasures this morning? So many of us have things all over the place. Last month, they had the 127 yard sales. For as far as you can go on 127, yard sales everywhere. A bunch of stuff that at some time was so important to people. Now they're just trying to get rid of it. Trying to just give it away so they don't have to lug it back in the house. At one time, that stuff mattered. Now they just want it gone. That's the reality of most anything this side of glory. Not people, but things. My truck's got rust on it now. Fenders are starting to rust out. I walk around my house, see cracks in the ceiling, cracks in the foundation. It's getting older, and it's declining. And all the stuff that you're living for today is passing away. Are you living for a dying kingdom? Are you laying up for yourself treasures in heaven? I also want you to see real quick in verse 41, I want you to see another word there. He says, As you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a, number two, divided kingdom. First one was declining, the second one is divided. My goodness, is not our world and our country divided unlike never before? We can't agree on much of anything and some things we shouldn't agree on. There's times where you do need to draw a line in the sand. When it violates truth, when it violates the Word of God, it's worth standing up for. But too often we make mountains out of molehills and fight battles that don't need to be fought because we'd rather be right than loving. We'd rather be right than compassionate. And so there's a time and a place for us, but the kingdom of God is not divided. And the people of God should not be divided. We may have to divide and separate ourselves from circumstances. But inside, as a body, whether it's local believers or an association of believers, Brother Steve is with us today, and all of our churches within our local association make up like-minded churches of faith and order. And as much as possible, we ought to be unified. We shouldn't be building our own kingdoms. We should be together 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says there, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and same judgment. Because Jesus said, a house divided amongst itself cannot stand. We will never stand if we're constantly fighting about things that don't matter. And the enemy loves that. The world loves that. They love that drama. Some people do. They love to see constant bickering. Because it gives them ammunition against the church. See those folks? They talk about love and sing about love and they hate each other. They're arguing with each other all the time. They can't get along. That's not what the world needs to see out of us. It needs to see a diverse group of people that can be unified in their diversity. And that's possible through Christ. He is the common ground. He is the common bond. We may have different ideas about how to do outreach, what music to sing, what colors to paint the walls, what jerseys to wear on Sunday morning. But we can come together under the name of Jesus Christ. And we can come together under the Great Commission. 
And we can come together under those causes and work for His glory, getting ourselves out of the way. Last one, I'm done. Number 40, uh, uh, verse 44. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. I want you to see a dominant kingdom. There was a declining or decaying kingdom. There was a divided kingdom, but there's also a dominant kingdom. There is one that cannot be moved, will never be moved, cannot be shaken. And church, I am glad today as a believer in Jesus Christ, I am part of that kingdom. I'm glad that this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The heavens beckon me from heaven's golden shore. And I can't be at home in this world anymore. I'm glad today that I can sing that song and know it based on the Word of God. And I hope you can as well. We get so caught up in this life that we forget that we are just travelers and sojourners here, church. We better not set our tent pegs too deep because we need to be ready to pack up and move at a moment's notice. When God says go, we go. The reason why we have such a hard time obeying God is we're a little bit too attached to things. And when He says let go so that I can give you something else, we hold on tight. And we dig our feet in and we don't want to move. But if we would hold a little more loose to this world and a lot tighter to Jesus, when He moved, we'd move. Because we know where we're going and we know the captain of that ship and we'd follow Him. I'm glad that even when Jesus came in Luke 1.33, the angel Gabriel announced it this way. He said that He, this Jesus, will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there will be no end. This is a promise from the Old Testament all the way to the book of Revelation and beyond that the kingdom of God will stand. That the kingdom of God will endure. That anything you guys do for that kingdom is going to last. And anything that you have here, death is going to render every account here null and void. You may have a bunch in the stock market, a bunch in real estate. You may have a garage full of toys. When death knocks, somebody else is going to get your stuff. And they're either going to put it in the auction, it's going to be in the 127 yard sale next year, or on eBay, but you ain't taking a bit of it with you. So you better make sure that you're laying up treasure in heaven. Because that's the only thing that's going to last. And I'm telling you what, when you step into glory, it ain't going to matter if your boat's not there. It ain't going to matter if your, your muscle car ain't there, your house ain't there. But it will matter if your loved one ain't there. It'll matter if your kids ain't there because you never told them about Jesus. You never brought them to church. It'll matter if your spouse wasn't there because you never prayed for them. You never shined your light for them. That's what will matter. Invest in eternity, my friends. And I close with this. Is that kingdom a kingdom that you know for sure you're in? Because Jesus said it plainly in John 3, 3. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is Jesus speaking. I think Jesus knows the way. And He said, if you're not born again, you say, I don't even know what that means. It means that you were born to earthly parents. And those earthly parents were sinners. And because they were sinners, you inherited their nature. 
And if you got kids, they inherited your nature. And you don't have to teach them to be mean. You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to do wrong things. It's just in them. It's just a part of them. You have to teach them to do right. But they have no problem doing wrong. And that's because they've inherited that sinful nature that all of us have. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death and sin will separate you from a holy God. And if that sin is not dealt with, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. How are you born again? You're born again by faith. What's that mean? It means trust. Who do you trust? You trust the one who paid the debt. Jesus Christ came, born of a virgin, sinless. He went to the cross and laid down His life freely for you. Yes, you. Not just other people, you. He loved you enough that He would die in your place. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says there is no remission for sin. But Jesus shed that precious blood, and by faith you can be washed clean in that blood. You turn from the world, you turn from your sin, you turn from trying to do it your way, and you say, Lord God, have mercy on me. Lord, I cannot do this. I have no hope of heaven. I have no way to get rid of this debt, this burden of sin that's on my back, unless you take it on yours. And the Bible says that He did just that. He took our sins upon His body on the tree. He died for you and me. Matthew 7.21 says, Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father. Don't be wrong on this. Don't be wrong on this today. Make sure before you leave this place or turn off the Facebook today that you know this Jesus. And not just because you say you know Him, but because there is evidence that you have met Him and been born again. That your life is different. That your desires are different. That you have changed. And then I want to ask you, are you investing in that kingdom? Are you investing, if you're a child of God, if you say, yes, pastor, I know that I am part of the kingdom of God. Well, then are you investing in that kingdom? John Hagee said, if your investments are limited to this earth, you are the world's worst investor. Amen. Amen. Regardless of how you feel about John Hagee, he's right on that one. He's right on that one. If your investments are limited to this earth, you are the world's worst investor. Jesus uh, writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I don't know about you, but I am grateful today that God in His mercy would give me and allow me to be a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because of that, if you're grateful today, I don't just kid with you and prod at you to get excited about that just because I think it's something that I'd like to see you do so I know that you're still breathing out there and you're still awake. It says in the Word of God, if we're grateful, then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. We ought to worship Him. We ought to be thankful. We ought to be the happiest, most joy-filled, excited people on earth. Because this world will weigh on you. This world will wear you out if all your treasures are here and all of your hope is here and if the majority of your time is spent here. But you get in the presence of God a little bit each week and you start enjoying Him and you start reflecting on where you're going and what He's freed you from and how all this mess is as bad as it's ever going to get for us. 
because we're going somewhere much better. I don't know about you, but that makes me happy. And I get excited about that. And so I can come in here and I can have a little spring in my step. And I can be a little bit happy. I don't have to fake it. But if you don't spend any time with Him all weekend and you come in here, you have to either try to work that up or you have to fake it or some of you just say, I ain't doing it. I'm going to be miserable right in church. And hey, I feel bad for you. I do. I'm not saying that to pick at you. I'm saying that you're living far beneath what you could be living like. I'm not saying we all have every day's happy and everything's great. We've got trials and troubles, and man, it hurts sometimes. But rather than just walking around miserable, do something about it. Say, I am not going to let the enemy and my circumstances take my joy anymore. I'm going to get some prayer partners like Daniel, and I'm going to have them pray with me until I get over this, get through this. And if I can't get through it, I'm going to have somebody carry me through it. We'll pray with you. But don't just dig in and say, I'm miserable, and until I get to glory, I'm going to be miserable every day. That's no way to live. If you're living for the kingdom of God, then let the world see it. Let the world know it. Show the world. Tell the world about Jesus. Church, He's worthy of that. And if we believe that, we shouldn't have to be prompted and prodded to do it. It ought to just come out in our lives and in our speech. Have you built on the kingdom of God, on that solid rock? If you haven't, then today is your day. Today is your day to say, Lord, I'm not going to live for the world no more. I'm not going to put my time and my treasures in something that's declining and decaying and divided. I want to invest in something that's dominant, that cannot be moved, that cannot be shaken, that's going to give me an eternal investment and an eternal return. And I want as many people to go with me as possible. God, I want to do that today. I'm going to make a decision for Jesus today. When we give this invitation, you come. And if you're a Christian and you're not living for Him, you have got to make up your mind. You can't be in on Sundays and out on Mondays. You have got to determine that you are going to live for God if you lose friends, if you lose family, if you lose jobs, if you lose whatever. That Jesus is worth it. That you won't lose anything here that you won't gain a hundredfold over there. You've got to invest in what matters, church. And only you can make that decision today, but I'm imploring you to do it. I'm going to invite Brian and Tiffany to come, and we're going to give this time of invitation. Just follow the Holy Spirit. That's all I ask. No excuses, no games, not worrying about anything else right now except what you need to do with eternity. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today just asking you, Lord, to help us to consider the kingdom that we are living for. And if it's not your kingdom, that God today, we would switch sides. That we would come out of darkness and into light. That we would leave behind our old life and live for you. That we would start to be intentional every day about where we go and what we say and how we live and what we do for the glory of God. And Lord, I'm thankful today that you have done everything necessary for us to be saved, to be born again, to be transferred into that kingdom. But we just need to come and acknowledge that we can't do it without you. And if we'll pray that genuinely from our hearts, you'll do the rest. Lord, have your way in this invitation. I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand and as we sing.